All right, turn your Bibles to Revelation chapter 21. My prayer this morning is that we leave here longing more for heaven than we ever have before. I believe that heaven is not taught on enough. I don't think we think about heaven enough. We don't recognize how incredible heaven is. And my prayer is this morning that we'll be shaken from that a little bit. You know, the Bible, we'll, we'll go through it after I pray, but in the Bible, again, the, the, God talks about heaven so much. And, and I think so often, uh, when's the last time you heard a message on heaven, unless you're going verse by verse to the Bible? Most of the time, again, we're so focused on the world and we need to be focused on where we're headed. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And guys, when we're heavenly minded, we're more earthly good. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Lord, as we go to your word right now. We ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. Lord, we know that heaven is our home. And Lord, I pray we'd all be homesick. Lord, I pray we'd all be focused on the eternal, and it would impact how we live in the here and now. We long for the day when we will see you face to face. Heaven is real. Heaven is better than we can imagine. And Lord, help us to better understand what heaven is like this morning. We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray and all God's people said. So I've heard this statement before. It's kind of a Christianese thing that He's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I've never met that person. Never in my life. Here's what I meet every day. People that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. So focused. And again, there are things on the earth we need to focus on. We need to be the best you know, worker at our job. We need to be wonderful parents. We need to you know, invest in our marriages. We need to be salt and light to a lost and a dying world. But what can happen if we are not careful We'll get so caught up in the things of the world that we really have very few, if any, thoughts of heaven at all. And all we're worried about is paying the bills next month or the, job, what, the project at work or the, what we're going through with our kids. And I'm not saying those things aren't important because they are. But what's more important is where we're headed. You know, the Bible says that we're just aliens here. So people are looking for aliens. We're right here. <laughs> Amen. You want aliens, you know, spot some aliens, just come to church on Sunday. We're all here, amen? Throughout the history of the church, God's people were preoccupied with heaven. When you read through the Bible and you see the early church, they talked about heaven, they thought about heaven, they were focused on heaven. They longed for the joys of heaven because they had been loosely tied to the earth. They have seen themselves as aliens and strangers desiring a better country, a heavenly one. It says this in Psalm 73, whom have, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And beside you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In Psalm 42, it says this, as a deer pants for water, so my soul pants for you, O Lord. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? That intense longing that nothing on this earth can satisfy has marked believers, but sadly in much of today's church, instead of being caught up, or instead are caught up in society, you know, mad rush for instant gratification, material comfort, self-centered, 
you know, indulgence. We're more focused on being comfortable here than focus on, focusing on heaven. As believers, we should not be comfortable here. Amen? We, he sent the comforter because we're supposed to be uncomfortable. And in this planet, we don't live here. This is not our home. And too often, we're hanging so tight to the things of this world that we're having little or no impact on eternity. You've heard me say it many times. If Satan can't destroy you, he'll distract you. If he can't destroy you, if he can't get you to go to hell with him, he will do everything he can to distract you and have you so preoccupied with the things of this world they are having no impact on eternity. As believers, we should be sharing our faith all the time. Amen? What was the Great Commission? Jesus is ascending in heaven. Go therefore into all the world and do what? Preach the gospel, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples. That's what we're called to do. Now again, it should be just like breathing in and out. It's not hard for me to introduce people to my wife. I love my wife. I love to introduce people to my wife. But guess what? We're to love Jesus more than even our own spouses. And we should be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we should be praying for opportunities. And guys, I cannot wait to see my Savior face to face. How about you? I long for that. Now, some of you might think, yeah, whenever. Some of you were honest. Well, you know, I got big, I got things coming up I want to do. I got a vacation planned. Got people getting married, stuff like that. You know, wait till at least after the honeymoon, right? You know, mentality. And we have these things that we want in this world. But what, guys, when we get to heaven, we're going to be so blown away and thinking, why in the world did I want to stay there one second longer than I had to when this is what was waiting for me? Amen? I'm so longing for heaven. Nothing more graphically demonstrates the church's worldliness than the current lack of interest in heaven. Churches don't sing about heaven. Pastors don't preach about heaven much, if at all. Believers do not have heaven on their minds. They trivial, it trivializes your life. It hinders your power in the church. And we become absorbed with fading things of this world, the stuff that's all going to burn. I used to say this all the time. I'm start saying it again. It's all going to burn. Amen? All this stuff that we invest in, all that, you know, that, and again, be a good steward of your house, be a good do, steward of your, of your material possessions, but it's all going to burn. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be worried about the scratch in the Volvo. Can I get an amen to that? You know, when we get to heaven, we're not going to be consumed with these things that right now will just mess up our whole day. Oh my, you know, I need this painted or this needs to be fixed. And again, be a good steward, but it won't matter in heaven. None of it will matter in heaven. The Bible makes it clear that believers are to focus on heaven. In Philippians 3.20, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 3, 1 and 2, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. James 4, 4, whoever wishes to be friends with the world makes himself an enemy of God. First John, it says, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone love the, loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So with the heavenly perspective is vital in the life of a believer. It may be the thing that's missing in your walk with the Lord. It may be the reason why you don't experience the joy and you don't have the boldness to share your faith. It could be because you're so focused on the world and so focused about what people will think about you instead of being faithful to what God has called you to do. A heavenly perspective, again, is vital in the life of every believer because our home is there. Our Father is there. Our Savior is there. Our Comforter, the Holy Spirit, is there. Our fellow believers that have gone before us 
are there. Our inheritance is there. Our reward is there. Our treasure is there. Everything of lasting importance to believers is there. Amen? And so we should so long for heaven. It's why the day of one's death is better than the day of one's birth. That's a Bible verse. Did you know that? The day of one's death is better than the day you were born if you know Jesus, because you close your eyes on earth and you open them up in glory. Amen? Christians die well. We don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? Hallelujah Avenue, right? Corner of Hallelujah Avenue and Maranatha Street, man. The house being prepared for me. And it's paid for in full. No mortgage. Thank you, Jesus. Can I get an amen? Heaven is so much better. And we should be longing for heaven. His longing for heaven led Paul to write, for to me to live is Christ and to die is game, which means it's better. It's far better to desire to depart and to be with Christ, for that is very much better. First John 3, 2 says, we know that when he appears, we will be like him because he, we will see him just as he is. When we leave this earth, we leave behind these broken down tents. Anybody more as excited about that as I am? Amen. We're going to leave all of this stuff behind, the stuff that's perishing, the stuff that doesn't matter. He doesn't just fix us up. He, again, in heaven, we'll have heavenly bodies, and we will see our Savior as He has a genuine and longing for heaven. It has many important implications for the Christian. Again, such longing for heaven is an indicator of salvation. If you're truly saved, then you want to go to heaven. Amen? Heaven is your home. Now, again, People say, oh, he's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. Never met that person. But I meet people that are so focused on the earth, they rarely, if ever, even think about heaven. You know what else, too? If you're longing for heaven, I believe it will change your character. You'll be mindful of standing before Almighty God, and you will have integrity and character because you're heavenly minded. It brings joy and comfort in trials. Here's the reality. We're going to heaven. I say it all the time. Most of you have said, how are you doing, Pastor Rip? Going to heaven. I say it all the time. Because we are going to heaven. Amen? So when you're bummed out, when you're overwhelmed, when you're going through a trial, there can still be joy because this too shall pass. This suffering is for but a little while. And we are crying tears on earth, but when we get to heaven, he's going to wipe them all away. The tears are for but a little while, and the joy is for all eternity. I am looking forward to heaven. How about you? Amen? You know heaven? looking forward to heaven does? It makes us hate our sin even more and want nothing to do with it. It helps maintain a passion to serve. Why? Because we're doing kingdom business. We're doing things that will impact eternity. Yesterday, we had the walk for life. God bless you guys. You showed up. Amen? I think you can still contribute on our website. So if you didn't go yesterday and you want to give, it's, again, amazing what they do. Again, protecting the most innocent among us. Amen? But when you have a heavenly perspective, you're easy to let go of things of this world and want to have an impact on things that are eternal. You know what's eternal? People. The only thing they're taking to heaven with us is people. And so we want to minister to people and we want to be heavenly minded. When we are heavenly minded, we honor God above all else. And may we also be so heavenly minded that it impacts how we live for the Lord in the here and now. The way we live here and now will be impacted on whether or not 
we have a heavenly focus. So if you have your outline, grab it. I tell the message, heaven is better. Heaven is better. And why should we be focused on the eternal promise of heaven? What makes heaven better? Why is heaven so much better? Just turn on the news for 45 seconds and you'll have your answer. Listen to political debate and listen to all the nonsense that's going on in the world around us and you'll recognize, okay, we're, we're here for a reason to be salt and light, but I'm looking forward to heaven. First of all, heaven is better. There's a new heaven and a new earth. A new heaven and a new earth. Do you know that the Lord is not gonna just fix up this mess? He's gonna wipe it all out and start over. And isn't that what he does with us? When we get saved, does he just wash us up? Or do we become new creations in Christ, amen? The person we used to be dies and we're new creations in him. And there's gonna be a new heaven and a new earth and we'll go into that in detail. There's only two things on this planet that are eternal. Two things and it's not your car, okay? It's not your physique. It's none of that stuff, okay? It's not your bank account. You know what's eternal? God's word and people. It says in the word of God, Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word endures forever. And then every person who's ever lived in all of human history is eternal. And it's just a matter of where they spend eternity. They either spend it in heaven with almighty God, or they spend it in hell separated from almighty God. All of us are eternal beings, and it's just a matter of where we're going to spend eternity. So what else is great about heaven? Almighty God dwells with us. We are going to be with the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen? We're going to be in his presence. We're going to see our Savior face to face. We are going to be in his... We'll never have a moment when we're not dwelling with him. Thank you, Lord, for that. What makes the city holy? It talks about the holy city in this morning's text. What makes it holy is God is there. Wherever he is, that place is holy. Amen? Here's another reason heaven is better. There will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, and no more pain. Who can say amen to that? He will wipe away every tear, and then there will be no more. I long for heaven. All the former things of this life will have passed away. The temporary pains of this life will be replaced for the joy of all eternity. What, what else is great about heaven? What, what makes heaven so great? Why is it so much better he will make all things new. He's preparing a place for you. His eternal plan will be accomplished. You know, God's plan before the foundation of the world, before he created anything, was that he was going to send his son to suffer and die, that we might have eternal life. And he was going to raise from the dead. He was going to be the way that our sin could be forgiven and we could spend eternity with him. But part of his plan was also that he was going to come back for his church and rapture his church away. He was going to bring righteous judgment. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Well, that's God's plan. And God's plan has been in motion for thousands of years. And we still have the millennial kingdom coming. But at the end of that, God's plan will be finished when we were all in heaven with him forever and ever and ever. What will keep you from heaven? We've talked about heaven. So the last point this morning is what will keep you from heaven? What keeps people from going to heaven? Here's the sad reality. The Bible tells us that broad is the road that leads to destruction and narrow is the path that leads to salvation. That's a paraphrase, but that's what it means. So you know what that tells me? More people will be in hell than people will be in heaven. And that should break the heart of everyone in this room. Amen? And if you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, 
You truly are on a highway to hell, and it's time to take the off-ramp. Can I get an amen to that? It's time to get right with God. It's time to surrender your life to the Lord because we're all going to spend eternity somewhere. So in the text at the very end, there's a couple of things it talks about. It talks about cowardice. Here's what cowardice is. It's being afraid to take a stand for the Lord. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. We should be unashamed of the gospel. We should be standing up and shouting it from the rooftop. Jesus hung on a cross for us. We can stand up for him. Can I get an amen to that? We need to stand for the Lord and be unashamed of him. Cowardice will keep you from heaven. When you're afraid of standing for the Lord, afraid to be identified with the Lord, afraid to confess your sin, it's cowardice. Unbelief. Faithlessness is an unwillingness to put your trust in the Lord. You have faith or unbelief. There's no middle ground with the Lord. So if you don't believe, it's not because there's a lack of evidence. Unbelief comes from a hardened heart. There is plenty of evidence to prove that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? All you have to do is look at creation. How can anybody look at creation and think it went from the goo to the zoo to you? How can anybody believe that? How can anybody think that that out of nothing, something exploded and created everything? That takes way more faith than to believe that Almighty God spoken into existence. Amen? So unbelief will keep you from heaven. And then thirdly, unrepentant sin. We're all sinners. We've all fallen short. But that's why Jesus came. And what will keep us from heaven is unrepentant sin. So let's begin there in verse one. I know it was a little longer uh, you know, preview, but I'm just excited about heaven. I don't know about you. I can't wait. I will confess too. I cried more studying this message than I've of any message in 35 years as a pastor. And the reason I did, I just kept focusing on heaven. I longed to be there. And I longed to be there more and more every single day. And I will confess that part of one of the reasons I longed to be there is my son is there. My parents are there. My brother's there. I have people that I love that are there. But our main motivation should be because Jesus is there. Amen? So catching us up to where we are We're at the climax in history. We're two chapters away from being done with the whole New Testament. Only took us 10 and a half years, okay? (laughs) We started in Matthew. Fast forward 10 and a half years. We're two chapters away. So what have we seen recently? So in in chapter 19, we saw the second coming. So the church is raptured, right? After the church is raptured, there's a seven-year tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, the Lord comes back. We come back with him, and we defeat the enemy. The Antichrist and the false prophet are thrown into the lake of fire forever. Then in chapter 20, we saw the millennial kingdom. So the millennial kingdom, we will rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years. So there will be basically two, two types of people in a sense. Uh, during that time, there will be those of us who've gone to heaven, spent seven years in heaven with the Lord. We come back with the Lord and we have heavenly bodies. We can't die. We can't feel pain, all of the above. And we will rule and reign with the Lord, but there will be people on earth who came through the tribulation, who are still living the lives like humans, having children, and we will rule and reign over them for a thousand years upon the earth. And I'm looking forward to the millennial kingdom and we will be on this planet in a better way, but we will be on this planet with the Lord for a thousand years. Now, the new heavens and new earth are not this planet. 
He's going to create something new at the end of the millennial kingdom. Then we saw the great white throne judgment that every unbeliever will stand before Almighty God and all of their sin will be judged. And we all deserve to go there, but we don't have to go there because Jesus paid the price for us. So we won't have to be judged at the great white throne judgment. Only unbelievers will. And it really won't be a judgment as much as it will be a sentencing because all the people that stand before him at the great white throne will all be guilty. And none of them will have an excuse, and sadly, it will be too late to get right with the Lord. And we want to see those people saved before they get there. Amen? And now the last two chapters, we're going to be looking at eternity. You know, we're, we're going to be looking at the forever, after the millennial reign, what happens then, and what can we look forward to? So point number one, heaven is better, a new heaven and a new earth. Verse one, now I saw, whenever you see John say that in the book of Revelation, Remember that John was the one that was on the island of Patmos. They had boiled him in oil and tried to kill him, and he didn't die because he still had to write this book. And so he has a heavenly perspective from chapter 4 to 19. You know, it says, come up here. So we see him. We don't see the church mentioned again from chapter 4 to 19. And so each time he has like a new, it's like changing gears a little bit. He'll say, now I saw, like, God showed me something else here. And so what he's going to look at now is he's going to give a glimpse into heaven. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. We'll get to that for you surfers in a minute, okay? Now, now I saw, so he's speaking, it's un, remember the word revelation means apocalypsis, and it's the unveiling, it's the unveiling of Jesus. So as we go through each chapter, as we look at each thing being revealed, we're getting a better glimpse of who our Savior is, why he came, and what he has done. So in John chapter 1 through 3, we see Jesus as our Lord in Revelation. You know, we took a look at the church age. And then in chapters 4 to 20, verse 15, uh, we saw Jesus as the judge of the wicked and unrepentant. And now in this final portion, we're going to see Jesus as the Savior and the Lord and the King of believers. So he's opening this new section as our Savior, our Lord, the King of the believers, and he's talking about a new heaven and a new earth. The idea of a new heaven and, new, and a new earth and new heavens is familiar theme throughout God's word. Many of the prophets talked about a new heaven and a new earth. Again, God is not going to just fix this one up. He's going to create from scratch a new heaven and a new earth. It says this, for behold, it says this in Isaiah, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create a Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. It says, looking for the hastening and coming day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's 2 Peter chapter 3. So people right now, and the Bible tells us in the last days, men will worship creation rather than the creator. The men will call good evil and evil good. Well, all these people, and if you're one of these people, I'm going to just call you out. Climate change is pagan idolatry, Amen. period. 
well, we got to fix the world and we got to do it. No, you need to get fixed and get right with God because this world's all going to be set on fire. I just read the verse out of Peter. It's all going to burn. And it's not going to burn because we're driving too many cars or because cows are passing gas. Can I get an amen to that? That's not why it's going to happen. It's going to happen because God is going to righteously judge this planet. Amen? And so people are worried about warming. You need to be worried about eternal warming, not global warming. Amen? Because hell is real. And so this whole, oh, we're just so worried about the earth and we got to be, look, should we be good stewards? What's the plan? What's the answer? We should be good stewards of the earth. But we all also know that it's a tent that's going to be on fire soon. And we don't worship it. We don't spend our entire life changing everything about everything we do because we're worried about the temperature going up a third of a degree Celsius in the next hundred years. We're not going to be here in a hundred years, I don't believe. Amen? Well, I know I'm not. <laughs> I'm going to be in heaven. Can I get amen to that? So heaven's being dissolved with fire. So the end of this earth comes from the righteous judgment of God, not because again, of global warming or climate change. It's a new heaven in context does not refer to the heaven where God dwells. He's talking about, so you have three heavens described in the Bible, and they're not, they're not talking about three actual places called heaven, but you have the earth's atmosphere. That's the first heaven. You know, when you look out at the sky, then you have the second heaven, which is kind of the night sky. It's the stars and the moon and everything that's out there in the darkness beyond our atmosphere. Now, the third heaven is the place where God lives. And what he's talking about here is creating a new heavens around us and a new earth. He's talking about a place where we will dwell for a time. So he's, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth. Now, the new earth, the word new there is new in character. It's fresh. It doesn't mean recent or new in time. It isn't just the next heaven or the next earth. This is a better heaven and a better earth. And you know what's going to be better about this heaven and earth? It will have never been touched by sin ever. It will have never been touched by sin. So it will be a heaven and an earth that is perfect. No sin, no sorrow, no death, no suffering. It's going to be perfect. And God will dwell there with us. So the old earth we saw will have passed away. For the first heaven and the first earth, it says there in the verse, have passed away. God originally created the earth to be suitable as mankind's permanent home, but sin, however, corrupted the earth and the universe, and God will destroy them. See, our sin not only brought, it, it brings destruction, it brings death. Before sin, nothing died. Plants didn't die, nothing died. And then in the Garden of Eden, Listening to Satan, challenging the word of God, Eve took, ate, gave to her husband, he ate as well. People always want to blame Eve. I would, I'm just, all I would say is, where were you at, bro, when she was getting tempted by Satan? You should have been around. Can I get amen to that? So they, because of that, death came to the earth. And it's the first time we see the shedding of blood. Because remember, they covered themselves with leaves. And the Lord, what did he cover them with? animal skin. So the first time you see the shedding of blood is for the covering of sin. Amen? So it's in the Bible. Now, so that means this earth is tainted. This earth will always be tainted because this earth is filled with sin and its consequences. Now, again, during the millennial reign, we'll see a different perspective of this earth, but in the end, God is going to wipe it out again off the face. It's just going to be no more. And he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth because the old earth has passed away. And again, 
I'm so nauseated by people thinking, and this, is, this will lead your news, the news almost every night, how are we going to stop global warming? How are we going to stop climate change? You know, we're spending trillions of dollars. People are losing jobs, homes, places to live because we're trying to save the earth. Let me clue you in. It's not getting saved. Amen? Only people on the earth can be saved. And this is not our home. Amen? I'm not going to spend my life savings on a tent that I'm going to camp out in for two days on a weekend. I'm not doing that. I'm going to invest in that which will outlast my life. Amen? Jesus said, heaven and earth shall pass away, but his word endures forever. So again, it all passed away. So it's all going to burn. So that brand new car you get, you're, you know, you park and you go to the mall and you park like in the back 40, 150 yards away from everybody, parking, taking up four spaces because you're so panicked, you might get a scratch in your new baby. And eventually the scratch comes. And there's cars that you bought that were brand new that are now, have been in junk heaps now and already been smashed into metal and recycled. <laughs> Amen? But we get so caught. I had a friend of mine. I love this. I actually love this. He would get a new car and he, he would take a can opener and he would go over and like scrape the door and go, see, now nah, I don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> it's just a car. I ain't going to worry about it anymore. <laughs> And some of you, like you, you it, it, that hurt you to hear that, right? <laughs> Paul tells us how the first heaven and earth will pass away in Second Peter, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. The world, heaven, earth will all burn and all the works that we did in it, all the things that we did that we thought, and again, be the best worker at work, raise your family right, take care of the things God's given you. But those things that we think are so important are going to be meaningless in heaven. Amen? All that stuff that we hold on to. Jesus warned us about the kinds of things we ought to be attached to. It says in Matthew 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart be also. Where's your heart? What's it focused on? The new car in the driveway? Go out and wash your idol on Saturdays? Or the things of heaven? It's eternal things, eternal things. Again, it's all going to burn, but the internal things, as we mentioned, are God's word and people. And then it says at the end of that verse, no more sea. Now, what does that mean? All the surfers are panicking. It's God's judgment on you guys loving surfing too much. I'm kidding. In the Bible, the sea is often a place where evil comes from. We saw in Revelation 13, 1, the beast came up out of the... So the beast, the Antichrist, came up out of the sea. And so the sea to them was something that separated. The sea to them was something, a place... We also saw last week that says, and the bodies that were in the sea, the people that died and didn't have a burial place that were in the sea. 
And so this is talking about there's going to be no more separation. What does sea do? What does is, what is an ocean do? It separates people, right? It separates us. So the water separates us. There's going to be no more sea. There's going to be no more separation. Amen? It's all going to pass away. We're not going to have that anymore. We're not going to have these great gulfs. Now, we know the Bible talks about the crystal sea around the throne of God, and we'll get into more detail of that as we continue on through the text. But there'll be no more sea. There's going to be no more separation when we get to heaven, and I am so looking forward to that. So point number one there, a new heaven and a new earth. So God's not going to fix this one up. He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will dwell on it for a time. Let's, so let's take a look here in verse two. So point number two, almighty God dwelling with us. So what makes heaven heaven? God being there. Amen? Wherever God is, that's heaven. Wherever almighty God is, that's where we want to be. And praise God for that. Look what it says in verse two. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, when the new heaven and new earth are created, Jerusalem, a new Jerusalem is going to come out of the sky and it's going to come down to the earth. So that one is coming from the third heaven where God dwells and it's going to come and be on this new heaven and this new earth. And notice that he says, this is not just a continuation of the millennial earth. Again, it's a whole new creation. And this holy new city, again, will distinguish itself because it is holy and new. It is different than any earthly city we've ever seen. And this Jerusalem is neither the historical city that we know now that we're going to visit in a few, in a few months if you're going to Israel with us, or the millennial city that will be the headquarters of Jesus during the uh, millennial reign. It's uh, Jerusalem. Just, it's just the name that God uses for his holy cities. And what makes this holy city, what makes this city holy? First of all, Almighty God is there, and we will dwell with him, and he is the very definition of holiness. Secondly, all unrepentant sinners in all demonic realm will have been cast into the lake of fire forever. There will be no sin, there will be no death, there will be no temptation, there will be no one who opposes God. Everyone will love God, everyone will serve God, everyone will be a new creation in heaven, in a heavenly body, worshiping and praising him forevermore. We will worship God without opposition, without anybody coming against him, without anybody mocking his name. We will praise him in unison. I can't wait for that. Amen? What makes the city so holy? Holy God lives there. There will be no sin or evil in the city, and it will come down from heaven. It's a gift from God, not an achievement of man. God will bring it to us. Everything that we get is a gift from God. We don't earn it. Amen? Now, are there gifts we will be given for being faithful to use our gifts here? The answer is yes. But even those are rewards. Those are him giving us gifts. It's not something we necessarily deserve. So this city, and notice it's a city. A lot of people, if, you, if you're under the impression that you're going to be floating on a cloud by yourself playing a harp, that's a cartoon. That's not the Bible. Can I get any men to that? We're going to live in a city, which means we're going to interact with each other. We're going to have meals together. We're going to worship the Lord. I don't want to speak into silence, 
but I truly believe that we will do things in heaven. Some of the things that we love here on earth, we will be able to do in heaven. I think if you like to garden on earth, I think you probably get to garden in heaven. I think that garden is going to be a smoking garden. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> and we're going to interact with each other and we're going to have different callings and jobs in heaven, but we're going to, it's going to be a place with no sin, no sorrow, no death, no suffering, no worries, no anxiety, no fear, no depression. Amen. And almighty God is going to be there. Not since Adam and Eve in the garden has man known a community unmarred by sin and the new Jerusalem something totally unique, a sinless, pure community of the righteous, a holy city. I love how he says, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. When the city comes down, it's going to be given to us by Almighty God and it's going to be the most beautiful thing we've ever seen. There is nothing more striking and a more beautiful image than a man will ever see in his life than his bride coming down the aisle to him. Nothing compares to that. Can I get an amen from the married men? And whether it was last week or 38 years ago like it was for me, I still remember it clearly, my wife coming down in that dress with her dad. Still remember it, I'll never forget it. I love doing, I love doing weddings because I have the best seat in the house. I'm standing here, she's coming, and I always, as soon as she starts coming, I just look to watch the groom most often shed some tears because it's beautiful, amen? And it's a picture of Christ in the church. It's such an awesome thing. Well, I love that he uses that analogy that he's gonna adorn the city, you know, like a, like a bride. And when we see it, it's gonna be an amazing thing that really impacts us as believers. Then it says in verse three, and I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will be with us. He's never going to leave. And that's what will make the new heavens and the new earth heaven as long as he's here. Amen. And we'll always be with him and we'll be in his presence forevermore. I just, that is mind-blowing. Amen? The word there, tabernacle or dwell, are both are words that are related to each other. Both words speak about living in a tent. He'll pitch his tent among us. We will see him face to face. The tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. Moses' tabernacle rep represented the dwelling place of God on earth. If you were here going through the Old Testament with us, I encourage you to come on Thursday nights. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian. We're in Second Chronicles. You should come. Okay, I promise you, you'll be blessed. The Bible rocks all of it. Amen? But in the Old Testament, they would wake up every morning as they were traveling to the wilderness and they had the tabernacle with the Holy of Holies and where they made sacrifices. By the way, they were encamped in the shape of a cross, read Numbers. And so they would look up in the morning when they would wake up and the pillar of fire by night and cloud by day is what led them. And when they would wake up, if the cloud moved, they'd pack everything up and follow the cloud because they wanted wherever God was, that's where they wanted to be. And guys, that ought to be our heart right now. Amen? That we want to be wherever God wants us to be. I had this asked yesterday, I was on the walk. A guy said, well, if you're, all your kids and grandkids are far away, why don't you move? I said, because God hasn't told me to move. Amen? And you know, we're empty nesters and sometimes that's really hard. You miss your family. But guys, I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing exactly what God wants me to do. And you guys are our family. And so you're the family that takes their place and we're not around them. And I'm good with that. Amen. But we should be moved by the Lord. And so they were just looking for God, wherever God's presence was. Well, we're going over there. Pick up your stuff, pack up the tent, go over there. Well, guess what? When, when the new heavens and the new earth, he will be there always and we will be near him always. 
always. The greatest part of heaven is dwelling with Almighty God and being in fellowship with Him. I don't even know how that will, what that will be like. What's it going to be like to talk to Almighty God? Wow. Amen? I think we're going to be speechless more often than anything else. God's desire is to fellowship with man, and man's purpose is to live as people unto God. What does God desire more than anything? Fellowship with you. You are his treasured possession. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. That's why he sent his son to die, that he might have eternal life. You're that pearl of great price. The parable in, in, the, in the Gospels where the man goes and sells all that he has to buy a piece of land because he knows on that piece of land there's one pearl that he wants, and that's what Almighty God did. He, you are his treasured possession. You are what he desires. He wants to have fellowship with you, and he knows you best, and he loves you most. What a great and awesome God we serve. He wants to have fellowship with you in spite of you. Amen? He loves me anyway. And so as human beings, our desire should be to have fellowship with him. His desire is to have fellowship with us, and we should live as unto the Lord. The greatest part of the Garden of Eden was not the animals, the plants, or the fruit, or anything else that was amazing, but walking in intimate fellowship with God. And the greatest part of heaven is not going to be the streets paved with gold. And it's not going to be the crystal sea. It's going to be walking in intimate fellowship with Almighty God. Amen? This is the greatest glory of heaven. The ultimate restoration of what was lost in the fall is that, again, I also, let me just say this. I believe that the redemptive relationship we had with God was better than the innocent, will be better than the innocent relationship that Adam and Eve had. Because Adam and Eve had that relationship having never made a choice to have it. All they did was choose to leave it. And we have the redemptive relationship. We've been redeemed, we've been forgiven, and we can walk in intimate fellowship with Almighty God because he paid the price on the cross of Calvary. So we're gonna have the greatest relationship with God of all time, and I cannot wait until we get to heaven. So point number two there, Almighty God will be dwelling with us. Almighty God dwelling with us. No matter how great you think he is, he's greater than that. When you get to heaven, you're going to be blown away. Amen? Verse 4, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Look what it says. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Every tear. Tears of those that grieve. There shall be no more death. Tears over failures and regrets. No more sorrows. All broken relationships will be restored. Tears from pain and persecution. Tears from disappointment and neglect. Tears from yearning for something we never received. Maybe you wanted to be married or you wanted to have children or you needed to be healed or whatever that thing is that you so desired on this earth that you never received. Got to wipe away those tears. All pain will be gone. There'll be no more funerals. Praise the Lord. Amen. No more separation from those that we love. No more broken relationships. No more cancer or chronic pain. No more loneliness. No more depression. No more fear. No more anxiety. No more abuse. No more hunger. No more thirst. No more worry. No more doubt. All these things will have passed away. So all the tears that we cry now, all the weeping that we do now, 1 Peter 4.10 is for but a little while. And compared to eternity, 
It's a vapor. It hurts while we're in the vapor. It hurts me now. But I also know joy's coming in the morning. Amen? Knowing that when we get to heaven, that vapor of time that we wept, those tears will be wiped away and we will never weep again. We will never be in pain again. We will never sorrow again. And we'll see our Savior face to face and we'll see those that we love, that we grieve and we miss. And we're going to be together forever and ever and ever. And this amount of time separated from them is but light affliction. Amen? You know, man comes into the world with a cry. cry. Babies cry when they're born. And then we live a life filled with sometimes groaning and pain and even wailing. But when we get to heaven, all that will be gone. All those trials and difficulties of living this life will have passed away. I long for that day. You know, we need to understand that when we get to heaven, there will be no more tears. So does this mean that he wipes away every bad memory that we ever had that caused those tears? I don't believe so. I think what's going to happen is when we get to heaven, we're going to have a heavenly perspective. And with that heavenly perspective, I believe that God may even be able to show us why it had to happen that way. God will get, when we have an eternal perspective, it's going to change the way we feel about the things we grieve over now. I thought about this a lot, studying this. I, I miss Mark so much. It's, the pain is, there's just no words. And some, a lot of you know what I'm talking about. You grieve too, and I get it. And that grief sometimes is so heavy. It's so hard. It just breaks your heart, and you would do anything for it to go away, and I would do anything to have my son back. Now, I think, I've told you guys this, that my son Johnny came to me about a month after my son. My first month, I just cried. I lost 45 pounds the first month after Mark died. I was having chest pains, and my doctor had to send me to get tests and stuff because grief is real, and I had a broken heart. Grief is real. But my son came to me and said, Dad, would you suffer for, you would suffer for us. You love us. I know you would suffer for us. I said, of course I would. He said, so Mark was suffering with depression here. And he's in heaven now, not suffering anymore. So would you rather have him here and you happy or him in heaven happy and you here suffering? Which one of those is better? Out of the mouth of my son. And the reality is that I grieve for me, not for Mark. And we grieve not for the people that have gone to heaven because they would all tell you if they could, heaven rocks. (laughs) Amen. Heaven is way better. And those that have gone before us, they're not, there's no more pain, sorrow, death, or suffering. They're in the presence of all. They're enjoying all of this now. And guys, it's we, when we have that perspective of where those that we loved are, we can have joy and peace. We break, it breaks our hearts when we think about where they're not. Mark and I used to sit in two recliners, and when I look at I'll be watching the game, and, he, and I look at his recliner, and it's empty. Sometimes it just, just takes the wind out of you. But guys, it's but light affliction. It's for just but a time. Amen? I'm looking forward to heaven. Peter was somehow able to recognize Moses and Elijah. So are we going to remember things from the earth? I think we are. We're going to recognize each other. The Bible says we'll know as we are known. We won't even have to be introduced. Hey, didn't I? I think, I think we went to the same church. What's your name again? Where do you? That's not going to. We're going to know each other. We're not going to get dumber in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Thank you, Jesus, right? <laughs> My memory is getting so bad the older I get. I'm just so thankful that I won't have that problem in heaven. How about you? No sorrow, no crying, no more pain. 
for the former things that passed away. What are those former, some of those former things are the pains we've gone through. Some of those difficulties we had in this life, they'll all be wiped away. We won't have them anymore. We won't drag that with us anymore. All the earthly baggage is left here when the, when the earth gets burnt up. Amen? We're going to go to heaven, and we're going to see our Savior face to face. You know what's amazing, too? It tells us this in 1 first, in Corinthians. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will... I, I shall know just as I am also known. You know, it's amazing. Right now, we only get a glimpse of what Almighty God is like. We see in a mirror that's faded and distant, and we get a kind of a glimpse of what that might be. And when we get to heaven, we're not going to be looking in a mirror anymore. We're going to be seeing our Savior face to face. Amen? Point number four, he will make all things new. Notice what it says in verse 5, Then he he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I will make all things new. And he said to me, Write for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Notice he says here, he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. And then the words I love in these verses above them all is, it is done. So when he went to the cross, he said, it is what? The price had been paid in full, but that was all a part of the ultimate plan from the foundation of the world. And when we come to this place in time, everything that God had planned will be done. Satan will be burning in hell. All those who followed him separated from God. No more sin, no more sorrow, no more death, no more suffering, no more pain. All those who have a relationship with him will be in his presence. This has always been his heart to have intimate fellowship with us, and it will be done. It will be completed. God's plan will be fulfilled. Here's the good news. No matter what the world tries to do in the end, God wins, and his will will be done. Amen? And so we should take peace in that, that no matter what the world tries to do, God's plan will never, ever be thwarted by anyone. Again, he makes all things new. Again, that's what he does when he transforms your life. We should be counting on heaven. We can trust in God's promises. God's eternal purpose in Jesus has now been accomplished. It says in Ephesians 1, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and that which are on the earth. At this point, all things have been resolved or summed up in Jesus, and praise the Lord for that. Amen? So God's plan before the foundation of the world will be completed. Man given free choices to sin. Sin separates man from God. Jesus left heaven, took on humanity, came to earth, lived a life of sinless perfection, and then paid the price for our sin that we might be redeemed. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He triumphed over sin and death. He ascends to heaven. He sent his Holy Spirit. He drew men unto himself. Salvation was offered universally, accepted individually. When the fullness of the Gentiles comes, he will rapture the church. There will be a seven-year tribulation 
tribulation period when, the, then the, when a wicked world is being judged and people will get saved. Then the second coming of Christ, we will come back with him. We will rule and reign with him for a thousand years while Satan is bound. Then Satan is loose. He raises up an army. Jesus defeats him and his army. The great white throne judgment when all believers and Satan and his demons are all cast into the lake of fire for all eternity. Then the Lord creates a new heaven and a new earth and we are brought into the place of intimate fellowship with God. It is done. That's God's plan. That's always been God's plan, and no one will ever change God's plan. He's the Alpha and the Omega. You know what that means? He's the beginning and the end. He's in the beginning, and he will be there in the end, and he's always been there in between. Amen? He is the beginning. He alone is sovereign. He alone is in control. All creation is under his divine charge. If he let go of this universe for half a second, they wouldn't know what global warming was. Amen? I will give a fountain of water for anybody who thirsts. It reminds me of the woman at the well. See, the world thirsts for water, but we thirst again, and then we thirst again. And most of us are dehydrated because we don't drink enough water. But we're thirst, and we thirst, and we thirst. But when we get the living water, as he told her, we will never thirst again. The living water is the Holy Spirit. He comes to live inside of us, and we never thirst again, and we're never separated from the Lord. Amen? Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water which I will give him shall never thirst again. Seeking to quench your thirst anywhere else will never satisfy. Come to the Lord and you will never thirst again. Jesus offers his living water. You must decide to take it and drink. Then notice he says there, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. How do we overcome? He who overcomes. We have a ministry here called the overcomers. So how do we become an overcomer? First of all, we believe. John wrote in one of his letters, whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the son of God. And we are going to overcome our sin and overcome our life here. It begins with belief in almighty God. Amen. You will not overcome with anything short of that. You may trade one addiction for another, one trial for another but you'll never have the answer and it will never be fulfilled until then. Not only do we, how do we overcome? We not only believe, but we live for the Lord. The process of overcoming works itself out when I choose to do what is right. Do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't just let evil things defeat you, but become a victor by doing what is right. See, it's not, one, it's not enough to walk away from that thing that once bound you as God delivers you from it. We need to replace it with something far greater. Remember when the demons were delivered from that man and it said because you know, he remained empty, they came back seven times stronger. It's not enough to get rid of the world. We need to fill it with the Lord. Amen? He needs to take the place. And then the word continue. Overcoming is not just a momentary encounter with God and believing. It's not having a single victory over temptation followed by a lifetime of giving in. It's a continual believing, a continually walking with Jesus, even through the hard times. It says in Revelation 2.26, and he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end him I will give the power over the nations. Guys, it's not enough to pray a prayer and walk an aisle and surrender your life to the Lord. We now must not only believe in him and live for him, but continue to walk in him. He endures until the end shall be saved. Now we're not enduring so we'll be saved. We endure because we have been saved. Amen? Don't quit. The enemy wants to discourage you. The enemy wants to stop you to stop running the race and to sit on the sideline. Notice he says at the end of that verse, I will be his God and he shall be my son. 
Ah. My son was God's son long before he was mine. And now he's with this heavenly father, and he's a better dad than I've ever been. Amen? And that brings peace, doesn't it? Isn't it good to know that those who have gone before you are in the hands of Almighty God? There's no better place they could be. Those who overcome by putting their faith in Jesus and enjoy a special relationship with him. There's no greater relationship on my mind than the one between parents and their children. Finally, notice what it says here. Let's finish, then we're going to go to communion. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now that just scared a whole bunch of people in the room. Any of you ever done any of the things on that list? If you say you haven't, you're a liar, and that's on the list. Can I get an amen? <laughs> what keeps us from heaven? Cowardice, not confessing him. Notice he says that the first word, but the cowardly. Isn't that amazing? That's the first word. Did you know cowardly, being a coward is a sin? When it comes to the Lord, it is. Amen? Confess me before men. People are afraid. I have pastor friends who don't do altar calls because they're afraid of putting people on the spot. We all ought to be put on the spot every day when it comes to the Lord. Amen? Do you confess him openly? Do you believe in him? Absolutely. Absolutely. We should be unashamed of the gospel. Amen? But cowardice, the implication is being too cowardly to stand up to follow Jesus. Again, Matthew 10, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I'll confess before my Father in heaven. Notice the next one, it's unbelief. See, all the sin that follows that is fruit of unbelief. The word unbelieving means faithless or without trust. This is the main thing. If you do not come to a place where you're going to trust Jesus to pay for your sins, then you will have to face God and have to pay for them yourself. Either you trust the Lord and ask him to forgive you and allow him to pay for your sins, or you have to pay for them yourself. And then the rest of it is disobedience. This includes things like murder, sexual sin, addictions, whatever, false gods, lying, you know, gossip, all those things. Those who reject Jesus turn themselves over to sin and are prohibited from entering the kingdom of God. So here's the difference, and, and I know we're going over a little bit, but I want to make sure this is clear. We read lists like this, and you'll have, you'll have a little quick thing because you'll go, well, maybe I'm not saved. The enemy will tell you, look, you've done stuff on that list. Maybe you're not saved. Here's the difference. As believers, when we do things like this, how do we feel about it? And why do we feel guilty? Because we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. See, being transparent, my son, because of his depression, struggled with addiction. But I know my son loved Jesus with his whole heart. We would talk five hours at a time about the Lord and theology, but he still struggled. The difference is he struggled. See, when you struggle with your sin, it's a sign that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. See, a lost world doesn't struggle with sin. They jump into it with both feet and crow about it at work on Monday. They live it. They, don't, you know, they may have a slight feeling bad about it, but, they, but as believers, we hate our sin. And the closer we get to the Lord, the more we hate it. Amen? And so when you're struggling with whatever you're struggling with, the fact that you're struggling, the fact that it grieves you, the fact that it drives you to your knees every time you fail is a mark of somebody who is a believer because unbelievers don't struggle with that because they don't have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. Amen? So conviction is a sign of conversion. And so these are things where they're just living in it. They're running amok. They want you to agree with it. And that's when, sadly, those are people that do not know 
the Lord. So what will keep you out of heaven? Cowardice, unbelief, disobedience, no relationship with God. What gets you into heaven? It says in 1 Corinthians, Do you not know that unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, or homosexuals, or sodomites, nor thieves, or covetous, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. Having done one of these sins isn't what keeps you from heaven. It's refusing to be forgiven and washed by Jesus that will keep you out of heaven. What keeps us out of heaven is the refusal to be cleansed by Jesus. We're all sinners. Salvation comes through conviction, confession, and repentance making Jesus not just your Savior, but your Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We long for heaven. We look forward when we are around your throne forevermore, when we will be dwelling with you, when we will see you face to face, not in a mirror dimly. And Lord, I pray this morning, if anybody's here today that doesn't know you, that they would not leave here without you. That Lord, salvation comes not by denying you, not by cowardice, but by confessing openly and boldly our need for you, our need for redemption, to ask for forgiveness, asking you to wash away our sins. We know that you're faithful and just to forgive. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, may today be the day of salvation. The Bible says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. To deny yourself, too, is to understand, and the word, key, one of the key words here is repent. It means to turn around. It's a change of heart. It's a change of mind. It's not just praying a prayer that anybody would pray if you gave them $100. It's, it's changing your heart and saying, that's who I am. I need to get right with God. And if that's your desire this morning, to, to turn away from the life you've been living, to surrender your life to Him, to make Him not just your Savior, but your Lord, if the Holy Spirit's been moving on your heart, it's time for you to respond. Because the Bible says, let today be the day of salvation. Amen? So if you're here this morning, you've never done that. Or maybe you prayed a prayer one time, but your life never changed. So you know there's no real sincerity behind that prayer that you prayed. If you're ready to fully surrender your life to the Lord, I want you to just raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all, God bless you. Anybody else? Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? But today be the day of salvation. Don't leave here without him. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. Anybody else? Lord, we come before you and those that raise their hands and even those maybe you know you need to. You just repeat after me. You can do it out loud. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me a new creation. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.